Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you, you know, I've been talking about the uh, the words with friends. And I play this guy from high school. And it's funny because he grew up on the street from me. And we sort of we, we sort of picked on him because he moved from New York to right outside Philadelphia, New Jersey. So we, he was like that. And I haven't talked to him for years. And he found me on Facebook. And we, we you know, we talk. But it, it's funny because he plays like seven games of words with friends with me at one time. And whenever I beat him, which I don't want to say like I'm arrogant, but I beat him. But my record's like 26 and 4 against him. He keeps starting new games. And I would think after a while, if you were losing like seven games at a time, you would stop playing. I mean, the lovely Joanne, she'll beat me like we've been having good games. She'll beat me once in a while. But I sort of get irritated when she beats me. But I just want to say it's amazing how, you know, that, that game's sort of addictive. But then people sit there and they start a game. And then the game takes like a week. And I know you're busy. A lot of them are on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast. But it's sort of annoying, sort of annoying because you sit there and you want to finish the game and you can't. So anyway, we have a great guest. I never asked you. My guess is it's Amanda. And the right pronunciation is? Wiss. Wiss. Okay. I wasn't sure. I was going to ask you. And you came in and then you got the, the, the stuff at the dollar store. Yes. Now, have you always been a dollar store fan? Not not particularly, but it seems like they're just popping up everywhere, and they're fun to go walk through. You find stuff. What I, I yes. what I like at like Christmas and before then, even you find stuff that was like popular at Christmas, but it's still good, like pumpkin creamer, you know. And so yeah. there's like a a whole big thing for like a buck, and you're like, that's like four bucks somewhere else. I know, but what really ends up happening is you spend like $50 on a bunch of garbage, but it seemed like a great idea at the time because you're like, everything's a dollar. I know. I'm going to have this. But they tax you and that's what's no good. They don't tell you that. So it's not a dollar. It's like a dollar 10. Yeah. And the one next door is a dollar 11, dollar 21. I bought an eyeliner pencil that I, I modeled for you earlier. You did and, and you you put it on. I did. I put it on in, in the, the ladies room before uh, we went on where no one can see it. Exactly. <laughs> see, but I can see it and we'll take a picture later and when people see you go to my website they'll go hey that's the eyeliner she's talking about. So so now you're you're a, you're a Southern California kid. Yes. And now you, you grew up in Manhattan Beach I believe. Yes. And now when did you get this acting book because you know you've been acting for uh, you've had a great career and you've been acting for a long time and you know a lot of kids who grow up screw around first they don't get into it when did you when did you start deciding you wanted to act when i was very young i always knew that i had two things i wanted to do i wanted to be a lawyer and i wanted to be an actress and the acting bug it just organically was something that I have wanted to do since I was a kid. And I did plays in school. And then I did my first uh, outside of school play when I was 10. I did The Innocence. And then a year later, I did The Bad Seed. And um, I just loved it. And then I started doing commercials. And, and it sort of organically happened. An agent saw me do the play. And then from there, I got commercials. And then I did more plays. How did you end up like deciding to like to audition for a play? Because as a ten year old, you know, as I say, most of us are like, hey, I want to get some watch some TV or, and I can see like if you did school productions, which yeah. is one thing. But going out, I mean, it's a, it's very big. I know you're one of five children. Yes. Okay. Now, where were you in that scheme? Middle. Okay, so you were like, I'm getting out of here. I'm, I'm tired of the old one. I'm tired <laughs> of the younger one. So now, how did how did it, I mean? Did you hear about a, an audition for the Innocence? Did you hear? I mean, how did you, you go from being, doing school stuff to doing a, a play. Uh, my older sister was an actress and she was studying. She graduated from UCLA theater department and she actually had 
knew of this theater that was doing this play and she knew that I that I that's all I talked about and I would I would sit and watch movies and TV shows and think like that I wanted to be in it and so she actually is the one who connected me with the theater and then um because it was really something I was pursuing myself and she was going to UCLA um I would ride my bike I would I literally like I completely did this like I went after it and um the director would drive me home at night we'd put my little bicycle in the back of his car because it was um a place called the Neil Rec Theater and it was down in Hermosa Beach, California, and it was actors from all over Los Angeles would come down there and do plays. It was this sweet little uh, theater upstairs overlooking the ocean. It was it was pretty ideal. And so you did that, and now you get the part, and then all of a sudden just did people hear about you? Is that why agents started showing up? Or, I mean, how does it, for a kid, were they coming to see other people, and the other people are like, wait a second, how'd she get signed when I thought they were coming to yeah. see me? Um. Yeah, you know, actually, I got really good reviews, especially in the Bad Seed, um, and in quite a few papers. And I think back then, you know, the dinosaurs were still roaming the earth. Agents and people were seeking out new talent, you know, so they would, you know, I, I, I'm not sure why they came uh, or but it was great. And you understood the concept when they came and when an agent came to see and said, we want to sign you, you understood that that, that was no longer, you know, it's, you would start really going to out to audition. I did understand primarily because I'd spent that last year doing these two plays with adults. And that was all they talked about was auditioning or, you know, the plays they'd done in New York and their agent, their manager, their agent, their manager. So I was like, I must get one of these. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, that's incredibly important for this process. Yeah, and, I mean, that's that's yeah. So so you get your agent. And yes. then now what was your did you did you book a commercial quickly or did you go to a few auditions and not get them? I mean, because, you know, it's I always think for a kid, it must be tough because one, I don't think we may not actually understand that we're getting turned down and it's a professional thing but two it's just like well wait a second i want to get that i mean how was your early auditioning well this is very funny so i would get auditions obviously i wasn't 16 yet and you know i would end up often asking like a neighbor to drive me or something if people if my family wasn't available so i literally it just seemed i don't know i didn't know that i shouldn't be doing that <laughs> asking basically strangers to drive me up to Los Angeles to audition for things. But yeah, I did, I did not book everything right away. Um, and mostly I started booking commercials and my, my first couple commercials, I was a teenager and I stayed doing plays until then. And then I did, my very first commercial was a a Pepsi commercial and it was you know I had long blonde hair and was very beachy looking and it was a, a big Pepsi campaign with you know blonde tan people running around on the beach <laughs> I didn't have much to say on that one but it was a commercial so I mean, that must yeah. have been, I mean what was it like when you when you saw yourself on TV I mean was it were you like oh my god I'm on TV I mean that must be so uh, especially at a young age you know and, yeah. and you're sitting there and, and you're you're just being yourself pretty much because you know you're blonde you love the beach i'm sure what is it like and what did, what did you like your family and your friends say because you must have been like sort of like been come like wait a second she's on tv well okay this is also a funny part that we went through a period in my family where there was no television and after dinner we would you know play board games and read and 
do things like that. So during that time, I actually never saw the commercial. Okay. Um, but I remember my my school in the school newspaper wrote a thing about it and had a, a snap of the commercial, and I was like, "Whoa, that is so cool!" And then somewhere down the road, I ended up getting a copy of the commercial. So that was actually the first time I saw it. So I didn't actually see it on TV. Isn't that, well, that's probably good because, you know, if, if you see it at a young age, you probably, you get a little cocky and you're like, hey, I'm on TV, you know, but you didn't see it. So you had no idea. No. So, so now, now you, so you get this commercial and now where in your mind do you sit there? Where do you want to take this? Do you say, I want to follow this more? Do I want to go back to stage? Because you were doing good on stage and commercial stage, as you know, it's two different worlds <laughs> because stage, you have to really work hard and go through audition and really takes the acting shops. Commercials, you know, it, it can just be a line sometimes. Or it can be running around. I mean, where were you sitting there as, and you're young still, you're, I mean, were you thinking about, am I going to act? Am I going to go to college? I mean, where was your mind at? I was thinking I was going to college and I was thinking that um, I wanted to pursue this and I mostly wanted to, I thought it, excuse me, <clears throat> I mostly thought I would go to college and then go to New York, pursue theater. And that is not what happened. I ended up starting junior college. And then I booked a TV series, which later failed, which failed right away. But I'd already decided I don't need college, which is clearly no one was driving that ship at that decision. And um, uh, so I just I knew I wanted to pursue it and I kept uh, following that. But I thought that it was going to be more get my degree, go to New York, pursue theater. And then I don't know, I wanted to... You know, and I was also really young, so there was things like, I want to be in the remake of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Right. Like, my, I wasn't having really lofty <laughs> pursuits. I, I wanted to be in the parent trap. I wanted to, you know, so I was, you know, I don't know. When I was young, I wanted to be on the Dis, you know, a, a, a Mouseketeer. Yeah, of course. Of course you want to do that. Because <laughs> you're young, you're like, oh, I see TV. I had a girl on last week, and she said she turned down an audition for Zoom. I go, how oh, Zoom? That was a big show back then. I'm like, how can you turn down Zoom? She goes, I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> like, it's Zoom, it's Zoom. So now, now, what was it? Do you remember the TV show? That, that, yes, it, it always, it was really fun. It was called When the Whistle Blows and it was about, uh, iron workers, I believe. I think they, yeah, like iron hangers or something. And Dolph Sweet played the father and I was his daughter. And it was a lot of like roller skating and can I have a sandwich? Um, um, and then Universal canceled it pretty quickly what's that <laughs> what's that like as a young kid because when you sit there i, I mean you 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 first of all you've gotten success because you're on a tv show i mean that's one time that's beating the odds of tons but as young where you just had the probably the younger resilience that you were just like oh well it didn't work i'll just move on yeah you know what i think i i just i hadn't been kicked around uh, i didn't really understand the nature of the beast so I was sort of blissfully unaware and I was still just trying to learn and understand how the camera worked and where my place was and how to you know fit in with all these grown-ups so I you know I I was disappointed I was disappointed because I think I you know I was a little kid so I was like this is it this is my thing now I'm gonna be a mouseketeer right. and then I get to be in the parent trap <laughs> and you know you know I, even though they'd already all been made um so yeah so I you know I, I I I was bouncing all over the place but you started getting work after that then so you, you start going back and getting work now was it 
was the work easy? I mean, because you, I look at your resume and you booked a lot of stuff in '82 and '83. I mean, was were you sitting there? Were you feeling confident? Because were you auditioning a lot, or yeah. were you just getting some auditions, just booking it, so you didn't have to audition a lot? Well, you know, it was interesting because I ended up, especially like with commercials, I. I uh, I don't do, I mean, I haven't auditioned for commercials in years, but I know now there's like a lot longer process. Back when I was doing, especially the commercials, when I, I'll say, you know, kid to, you know, 21 or whatever, um, you know, I was just on a list basically. And, and it was so simple. Sometimes I'd just come in to meet the ad people or um, it wasn't this long process of like three and four auditions for the same thing. And um, so it was a lot more fun and uh it was a smaller world back then. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I was confident. But I have to say, by the time I got to be around 20, I, I was auditioning things and I wasn't getting them and my feelings were being hurt. And, you know, and so it was about 19 or so, I went to the Strasbourg Institute. I was like, oh, you know what? I really need to, you know, study and get some tools in my toolkit because I didn't go to college. So this will be my college. And, um, you know, just read every play anybody's ever told me to read and read every book on acting and study and and um and then there were some funny things in that school because um we had to take a singing class and I can't sing and I just remember I mean I was so young but every week I had to sing the same same song forever and every time I get up everybody in class would groan like god (laughs) just pass her from this song so we can all live past this so there was there was but it was fun and you know learning to fence a little bit and all that kind of stuff it was it was a really good experience I'm glad I did that it's cool you got some of the training that you know you wanted to go to New York but you're working here so it's like well yeah. You know, it's sort of taking a step back. So now then you, you end up in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. Now, when you went to that movie, because I had Robert Romanus on, he said he went for, for Damone audition after audition after audition. He said it was like a huge process. You had mostly done TV before, right? Yeah. So were you were you sitting there thinking that, okay, you said the commercials, they just call you on the TV. Was it a long process for you to get the part? No, but I didn't have as big a role as Robert Romanus. Right, but you and, still had a big role. Yeah. Robert's I love Robert. Um actually everybody from that movie is just it was a such a nice group of people. Um no, you know what? I went in to read and it was uh Carrie I forget the casting director's name now. Uh lovely person and Judge Reinhold and Amy Heckerling were there. And they basically just had me do an improv with Judge. And so I was like I don't know if I'm going to get this movie. I'm stumbling all over the place. I don't even know. We're Judge and I are sitting on the desk, and we're, she had they had to improv the breakup scene, and um, so I I left there thinking I don't even know what just happened, and then so I'm so happy I got that movie, and we had I had I had a great time doing that movie. Now, did you ever think, and I always think, you know, because it is an iconic movie, you know, and mm-hmm. I mean, and for especially I say for my age group, you know, if you haven't seen it. If someone is over 45 and they never saw Fast Times, I want to hit them. Because it's like, <laughs> it's a part of the thing. But did you ever think that it would just, it, I mean, it was just on the other night. It was on AMC. Did you think it would just, you you were in this movie. And did you think it would just, basically, it's lived forever. And it, it's still, people love it. I mean, when, when you're a young actor, you must, I mean, most people don't think that they'll be in something that's iconic. You know, they sit there, unless it's, you know, the, the, must be your masketeer or an apparent trap. Yes. Then you know. Gonna, but did you ever think when you guys were shooting it and you're just young and you're having fun, did you ever think it would just carry on just so long? Just people would still just they love that movie. Well, a couple things. One, I don't think 
And I still don't think I have I ever had or have had a very good business sense about the business, the show business part. So I've never been calculating enough or calculated enough to kind of look at something and put it together as stepping stones for something else, much to my detriment um, as far as my business part of the my acting goes. Um, and secondly, I was so young, I just don't know or I didn't have a a sense of the future and what this could mean. Now, that said, they they were calling it the, you know, new American graffiti. And, you know, I'd seen that and knew that that was considered a, a classic and stuff. Um, so I was being told that, but I don't actually know if I understood if that was going to happen or, you know, um, what it actually meant further down the road. Because, you know, when you're that young... 10 years ahead of you seems like yeah, forever and ancient and how could anything last that long and we got these old people they're 25 you know isn't that, isn't that crazy like yeah. you sit there and say, I, I was just sitting there with one of my guests earlier we were talking about the old for us the old days of stand-up which was you know we're like oh these kids today and we're like oh my god you know we're it's because we don't think when you're young you don't think yeah you think someone i mean when you're 21 someone 29 is old oh you know? I know. and you sit there and go and now you look at it and go wait a second that's that's like it's just crazy. I know. Well, in fact, um, my Stephen and I were out for dinner the other night, and a a boy came up to the table with my glass of wine, and I was like, "He can't be old enough to serve alcohol." And then I realized he was probably like twenty four, and I'm like, "Oh, because now I'm officially I'm the flip side of that." Now they're looking at like, "Why is that old lady staring at me oh, like that?" No. <laughs> so it's just very funny. Like I, but I literally said that to Stephen. I was like. How is that child delivering alcohol? And he goes, he's probably like 24. I'm like, what? okay. So, so, so the movie, you're in the movie, and now how does it change your career though? And then because you know it's a movie, and I, I mean, when I look back, because I probably saw it in when it came out, but was it a big hit or what was? I mean, when it first came out, or did you get some heat from the industry because of it? I did get some heat, um, but mostly it kept translating back to television. Um, which was fine. And, and especially now older, I've, I've always felt like TV, uh, had fun things for women to do and, and at any age, um, and some really terrible things too, but so, you know, um, do you want to know God's honest truth? I can't remember if that was a big hit or not when it first came out or if it grew slowly. I think it probably was a pretty big hit. I, I know that's terrible that I don't know. I don't no, because we always think, once again, it's a sign of when we get older. We don't remember a box office because when we were watching, you know, when I was watching TV, if it, if it came on like, you know, when, like, when HBO was very young or if it came on that, yeah. you're like, oh, wow. But like, it's not now where it's like, you can see, you can just go on IMDb and you can see what this show's on, this show's on, this show's yeah. on, and you go, wait a second. And it's like, wait, and then you see, and they have commercials. You're like, hey, this is supposed to have a commercial and they cut stuff out. I know. It's crazy. So no, they do that, but now, now then, then you got Nightmare on Elm Street. I did. You know, that was a really strange, interesting period. I, I did Fast Times and then I did um, a couple like TV movies and things like, you know, a really fun one with Lonnie Anderson. And I was, I, I actually, it was really, really fun. And at the time, it was the highest rated TV movie, I think, starring a woman or, okay. or of all time or something. You know, I could be exaggerating that. <laughs> I might I might be remembering that completely incorrectly. But then came, um, like, in a, in a span, I did them all completely in a row. It was Nightmare on Elm Street, Better Off Dead, and Silverado. And it was, like, 
amazing and fun. And I, each of them were such completely unique experiences and right on the, literally on the, you know, rap start rap, you know, and it was an incredible time. How do, do you, that. how do you prepare yourself for that? Cause once you, and they are, they're all completely different genres. Cause yeah. Silverado was a, a, a Western and uh, Better Off Dead was another cult classic, which, you know, everyone remembers. I want my $2. <laughs> and um, and Nightmare on Elm Street was one of the beginning of the new type of slasher flick. And it was yep. like that wasn't, they weren't really known then. I mean, did you ever sit there and think, God, you know, I've, I've been part of these genres and classics. I mean, and as I said, as a young actor, how do you prepare to go from getting killed to doing comedy to you know, drama. I mean, how would you prepare as an actor? And, and did you think when you went to school to Strasbourg, did that help you get prepared for that stuff? Yes. I love all the tools I have from Strasbourg. I also studied later with Larry Moss. And then most currently, I adore, adore, adore this man, Stuart Rogers, who is who's just a genius teacher. And um, I, I think it's, I love studying and, and having that place to do roles that maybe I haven't had the opportunity to do. Um, that said, the the preparation for each of them, and, and it's the same now, is just to always find the truth in whatever you're doing, and then and and let the story unfold and know your place in the story so that you help tell the overall story. And um, I think I'd never seen a horror film. I'd never. I didn't. Even, I mean, I, I think I'd seen a black and white version of Dracula or something like right. that. And um, and then up till that point, the scariest movie I'd ever seen was my older sister took me to see Wait Until Dark with Audrey Hepburn. And I, and to this day, I still can't walk upstairs that you can reach through without right. thinking of that. Isn't it weird how you remember that stuff? Like I was talking to someone about The Exorcist. And, and I'm going to tell you, that, that movie's old. But if I watch that, it still freaks me out. Yeah. I sit there and go, and I know that the, the special effects aren't what they are now. But if I watch it, I'm like, so I get a creepy feeling when I'm going upstairs to go to bed. I'm like, well, wait totally. a second, you know? Yeah. You know, The Exorcist I, was the first scary book I'd ever read. Like, I'd read scary books because I'd started really young as a kid reading, like, the Alfred Hitchcock's children's series and then things like that. And then, uh, uh, but The Exorcist, I thought it was so scary. And I remember thinking, I could put this down and end this, but I'm not going to. Right. I'm going to continue. <laughs> um, so with Nightmare, I'd never seen a horror film. And so when I went to read for it, um, and I met Wes Craven, who, you know, is, is the most lovely, creative, intelligent person. Um, you know, he we talked and I was like, I've never seen a horror film, but I've read scary books. And he's like, OK, well, you know, it's the same thing. You're bringing that to life. So the script for Nightmare on Elm Street was so scary. And I think that that made me excited because. I'd been reading these scary books like the others and, and all these things. So, um, and then I learned a lot from Wes because there's a lot of things in, in horror that you, you know, you don't think to do, but like if something's coming from above, you know, make sure you're looking down first so that there's that tension or, you know, like there's little kind of, um, technical things that can help tell a horror story, which I learned working with Wes and it was, and, ironically or not ironically I think I'm misusing that word we're all still friends now from that movie and I think that's that's like really impressive now did you get scared by the guy in the mask I mean when you're it's, I, I know you, I know you know it's a movie yeah but you also said you know you could have put the exorcist down and you're getting scared yeah and I, I and I you know believe me 
Hollywood's the land of make-believe. But if someone's coming after you with stuff and this and that, I mean, it's got to creep you out a little bit. Well, you know what? Actually, the the locations we filmed in were actually creepy. Like um, the house where my character Tina Gray's house was, was in Venice Beach. And we filmed in this alley. And, and you know, and back in that day, Venice hadn't been gentrified. And, I mean, we were, I was running barefoot. And they had to keep, you know, they had to go through and sweep the alley from needles and all these things. And I was like, I'm actually going to die filming this movie. Um and then the boiler room stuff was shot at the Lincoln Heights jail, which was, I don't know if it's still there, but it was a, I don't think, it, it might even still been partially open when we filmed there, but very, very bad, scary energy. And we were down in the basement filming. Like it was a kind of place you'd walk down the stairs and the hair on the back of your neck would stand up oh, and people pretty much stayed to a buddy system walking around. <laughs> um, so it was pretty scary. And, and Robert, of He's a classically trained, wonderful actor. You know, he kept every scene very fresh. And so there was, you know, and often in the movie, he's just coming up behind me. So right. there there was a lot of Wes saying, stop, stop raising your shoulders. We know that, you know, you don't know he's there yet and stuff like that. So there was, so I think there was a lot of creepy things happening, but I don't know that I was ever totally afraid of Robert, except for a couple of times we'd all sit down to lunch and you'd just be eating and talking and look up and realize that there was Robert with his makeup on and you were like, ugh. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I just, it's one of those things. And I guess you're right because you do, you think you're going to react and you can't, but you're probably thinking, yeah. okay, I know he's behind me. Yeah. I, I have to act and, and it's yeah. different than regularly just going off. So now, so then now Better Off Dead, now did you, were you, did you, Know how to ski before that movie? Yes, I okay. grew up skiing. Okay, so you were a good skier. So yeah. were you excited when you found out you could do a movie that revolved around skiing? Yes, and when we get there, though, we find out none of us can ski because we're not insured for skiing, and the only two people that can ski are John and Aaron Dozier because they are they ski in the movie, so it was very funny. So um, I had fabulous ski outfits, and we got to run around in the snow, but we weren't allowed to ski the entire time we were there. That's funny. My yeah. my my old neighbor, I live in Burbank, He I remember he, this guy, this was years ago, he found the house that Cusack <clears throat> lived in, and it's in Glendale, and he's like, I found the house, and it was so funny how people <laughs> look up. Now, now, once again, did you think that would become such a cult classic? Because that's, I mean- that's that's like a cool like you have to be hip to know that as a cult classic like you just yeah. any normal run of the mill person doesn't know how cool that movie is. Did you think that? I mean, I mean, did you think once again? I mean, you're you're in two movies that are you know cult classics. Now you're right. in the third movie. Did you ever sit there and go like when did you sit there and find out that that started started becoming so popular? Well, the interesting thing, Nightmare on Elm Street, it, it grew. It really had its big explosion once it went to video. I mean, it was it it was it got really interesting press because Wes had sort of introduced a, a new psychological style of slasher and it was very visceral. Um, the way he used the children in the movie and stuff. So he he brought some he enlivened this genre for that time. And um, but. When I started filming Better Off Dead, the big explosion from Nightmare hadn't quite happened yet. Um, it was happening, though. Like, where more and more, like, I opened my door at Halloween and people are dressed as Freddy. Somebody came dressed as Tina in a body bag. I was like, oh, my gosh. All right. People are actually seeing this film. So it was exciting. But that that was a process of a couple years, really. I mean, it was out there, but I think it's it's 
bigger now than it ever was. And I find that amazing. And it's, I just find it amazing. So Better Off Dead loved the script. And the actual script of Better Off Dead is one of the funniest things I've ever read in my life. And I had the opportunity last year at this San Francisco Sketch Fest. They invited us up there and a lot of the original cast um, did a live reading of the original okay. Nightmare on El- I mean, uh, Better Off Dead script. And then a bunch of comedians as well filled in the other spots. John Heater read the John Cusack part, and he's a huge fan of the movie and literally knew the lines. He didn't even need the script, which was adorable. And it was, I forgot how funny the script is. Like when hearing it read live, you're just howling in the audience. It was the theater was packed and they were yelling the lines back and stuff. So I think, um, I had my fingers crossed that, that it would be, a you know, people would love it and, and go see it. But I didn't know. I was hoping it would, because there was, there was starting to be that proliferation of like the John Hughes movies and stuff. And I was hoping that it would, you know, get an audience like that. And I did not expect it to become a huge cult classic, though. That must be cool, though, when you sit there. It's like, you know, well, first of all, during when these movies are coming out, when Fast Times and, you know, Freddy, when they're starting to get popular in the second wave, are you starting to get recognized now? Because, you know, and I, I always think for, you know, for a young, attractive woman, it must be a little bit hard to get recognized because there's a lot of creeps out there. But, well, there's a lot of great people, don't get me wrong. But it's like the internet now, you know, Twitter. You know, yeah. people just sit there and put stuff and you sit there and go, well, who, what the hell? But I mean, <laughs> I mean you, you know some of the stuff people write. But what was it like for you to start to start getting recognized? I mean, because I think for anybody, that must just be a weird feeling. It, it is. It's strange. And I mean, I'm grateful for it. Um, but yeah, it is. It is strange. And it, I, you know, and. I have to tell you, 90% of the time I'm completely oblivious to it. And somebody will be with me and say, you know, you're, they know who you are. And I'm like, what? Um, so I'm not out looking for it. And, it, you know, I'm certainly, it's not like I'm, you know, Tom Cruise <laughs> where people are like mobbing my, you know, they're, they're not like mobbing me when I walk out the door. So I always find it flattering. And, you know, especially when the people are fans of the old things that they're putting my modern visage with that visage and I'm like oh all right you know it's very you know I take it as a compliment and for the most part I would have to say you know 99% of the time people are very respectful and thoughtful with their approach and and I you know honored that they like anything I've ever done (laughs) what was it like shooting a western I mean, because oh. you're doing, I mean, once now, once again, I know you skied, but you weren't allowed to ski. Yeah. Were you a horseback kid? Did you, or did you ever, did you, were you a Western fan? I mean, because some people would think, I don't want to play a, a, you know, a Western. Some people would probably be like, oh my God, it's a Western. What was your attitude when you got to read or got offered a job on a Western? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I grew up going to dude ranches as okay. a child. Love country music, love horses, love Westerns. My dad was a big Western fan. Um, so when I read the script, I was just like, oh my gosh. And so, true, funny story. Um, the the character I played, Phoebe, was described as like, I forget, like model-like beauty or something like that. So I go to do a pre-read with the casting director. And, you know, mind you, I'm incredibly young and stupid. So I go in, I sit down and I say, listen, you and I both know I'm not a model. I don't look like a model, so we should probably not waste each other's time, and I think I'm going to go. And I thought I was being very mature and helping her out. That's how 
just uh, oh my god I cringe um and she just stopped and looked at me like who is this this person who has the audacity to speak me like this because she was she was probably the biggest casting director in the town at the time um and she goes listen this is what's going to happen you're going to get up and you're going to go outside my office and close the door and get your shit together and then you're going to knock on my door and I'm going to say enter and you're going to come back in and you're going to read the scene and I was like okay so I go outside and close the door and I'm like I just want to die clone me so I knock on the door and she doesn't answer right away she makes me knock twice so I knock again she goes enter and so I read for it and she's like okay and she didn't say anything else and I'm like oh my god I'm never gonna work again in this town what's wrong with me I have a screw loose and so I get a call that they want me to come meet Lawrence Kasdan so um, I come in and he, they all, they're all there, all the producers. And they're all laughing when I come in because she has just told them the story. And so, of course, I was like, I'm never going to get this part. Now I'm just a curiosity of who's the person. <laughs> so I read and then literally the next day I, they, I got the part. And so even as um, the car has come to pick me up to take me to the airport to fly to New Mexico to do the movie, I keep thinking they have attached my resume to somebody else's headshot and they still have it confused I'm going to get there and they're going to be like oh no that's the girl who <laughs> who like insulted everyone so it was very funny and um everyone had many laughs for many years over that and I got there and it was beautiful we sh shot in the winter it was snowy cold gorgeous uh, the most one of the most amazing casts I think that have ever been assembled for any film and they Every Saturday night after filming, we, we filmed six days a week, there was a dance party, and, and it was a Motown dance party because they had all just finished the Big Chill, and it, it rotated around. Everybody went. Everybody danced all night. Um, Brian Dennehy said to me, uh, really take this in and enjoy it because you will never have an experience on a movie like this again it's like this is this is magic and magic doesn't always happen and he's he's true it's true I've never had quite that I always have a good time but right this was a magical experience of a great script a great cinematographer wonderful director Larry Kasdan is like the coolest human on the planet and just it was hands down the best time I've ever had on location doing a movie uh, surrounded by things I loved now, as you're doing these movies and they're, you're doing very well, did you ever, was the theater ever back in your mind? Like, did you sit there and go, you know what? I wanted to go to New York to do theater. I mean, or were you sitting there going, I'm, I'm getting all these great productions. I mean, what was, you know, cause you, you went and you went back and you got your classes and, and you are acting in, in movies. I always think sometimes people sit there and they go, I like to get on stage. I mean, what was going through your mind? Did you want to get on stage? Or were you just like, I'm just going to ride this wave and go to do TV or, you know, what did you go through? You know what? I think I got afraid of going back on stage. I, I I really fell in love with the camera and understanding film acting. And it it is it, a huge, I love it. And I love the, I love the technical aspects of it as well. Um, I wish I had gone back and done more theater when I was younger. I think it would have been really good for me personally and professionally. And I let fear drive that ship, I believe. I mean, that's my looking back on hindsight. Um, 
I just think I think it's important to do theater. I think it's important to stay reminded of why we fell in. I mean, if you start out in theater, I think there's a million actors that don't. It's just an important reminder of what you fell in love with in the first place. And as a rule, they're pretty amazing roles that you aren't going to get in an episode of, you know, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. Right. (laughs) Um, But um, not to put that show down. I did it. so yeah, I, I in hindsight, it's a big regret of mine that I I didn't I didn't stay I didn't maintain those chops. Now, as you start, you know, as you start doing more TV at a younger age, you know, you you know, you were on Cheers, you were on uh, Cagney Lacey, Saint Elsewhere. Were at the time, were you also getting pilot offers, or I mean, because I know everyone says, you know, you get the pilot offer, and like you said, the first show you did didn't even get picked up. Yeah. So it's, it must be like. <clears throat> It must be like, and I know so many people who are like, hey, I've done seven pilots and they've yeah. made a great living. But yeah. they're always like, it gets frustrating sometimes when you're on a really good pilot. It doesn't get picked up. What was your career going like then? Because it's like you are, you know, you're appearing on these great shows, iconic shows. Miss one thing, you're, you have a very iconic resume. What was it like? Were you getting pilots too? And were you just, I mean, what? where was your mindset at? Because you're getting older now. You're also, you know, you, you've had success at a very young age. And and once again, we're we're when you're one as we said when we're twenty three, twenty four, you get distracted. You sometimes sit there and go, you know, do I really want to do this? I mean, what where where was your head at? Um, I was doing pilots. I was like the queen of the unsold pilot for the eighties, and um, I really wanted to be on a TV series, and it didn't happen. Um, and you know, I also the eighties and into the nineties, there was, you know, I. I was, I was just looking for a place to plug in. I think I, I think I was doing a lot of really interesting things, but I never plugged into that one thing that was like the TV series that went for three years, or the play in New York that sort of uh, reminds people that I had some gravitas, that I wasn't just this blonde, uh, you know, little sitcom actress right. or whatever because and, and the funny thing was when i was younger i did a lot of sitcoms and they were like so and people were like well she can't do drama which was all my training was drama and then i started doing drama and they're like she's not funny which is not true i can be very funny isn't, it, <laughs> is, isn't that crazy it's like you sit there it's like it's i mean for me and and that's this is what i've gotten a lot i, I think casting people sometimes just don't look at resumes i mean if you look at a resume okay she was in nightmare on elm street she did this, and she was in this, and she did this. It's like it's quite obvious if you look at your resume. Okay, she can do both. I mean, it's not like I think sometimes people pigeonhole people yeah. in this business, and you always sit there and go, "What are you crazy?" I mean, I know because they want what people expect, but it's like you, your career it was going back and forth, yeah. drama and comedy, and it must be frustrating because you probably sit there and go, "I can do both." Right. You know what I think, especially in the '80s into the '90s, and it's not true in my world today. But I just don't think I had a lot of confidence. I think I had a lot of talent and I I was getting lucky and or I was blessed enough that I was, you know, I mean, I w- worked very hard, but I was getting these great roles. But I think it was my lack of confidence that sort of helped form a lack of direction where I didn't get plugged into something. So I, I take responsibility for that um, because I, I think I would have made a couple smarter, I would have made a few smarter choices if I had. I, I didn't really have a mentor. I didn't, I I just, I was a little adrift when I was younger in the sense that I, I just didn't have a plan and I didn't see a clear direction. And I think it's important to have a, a, a direction. I mean, you veer from it all you want, but it's important to have some sort of vision of, you know, what, what you're, what you're 
desire is or what you want to do. So I think I chalk a lot of that, those missteps up to a lack of confidence. And, you know, I just think I, I hadn't blossomed yet. And I, 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 uh, I think that, you know, I was a late bloomer as far as feeling more grounded and clear about what, what my gifts were and what I wanted to do with them and that. Well, yeah, I think it's funny that it's a funny point you say that about the mentor, because, you know, I'm someone who I, I've always believed in mentor when I, when I did stand up comedy in Philly, a lot of older guys mentor me. And for you, you had, you know, you were acting so much as a kid. I think sometimes it would be hard for a mentor to approach you because once again, I always say we're kids. We know we, we think we know everything. And that is true. We, it and, is true. And it's not that we do. And it's not that we are. But, you know, it's like anything. You know, we, we're in this business because we all have a little bit of an insecurity. You know, and so when you sit there and you have success, if someone who sits there and starts telling you, well, you know, you should do this. And you, you, you're like, well, wait a second. I was just in this movie. And I think yeah. that happens a lot. I think also, and I think more in Hollywood than other places, I think, you know, a mentor would be intimidated by you, even though you said, you know, you weren't sure which direction to go because you were working a lot. And then they sit there and go, what am I going to tell them? That's what always right. amazes me. Like when I talk to actors who have these great acting coaches, you know, and teachers, and they, they get along with them because a lot of these acting coaches and teachers that's what they do. They don't really want to act. They want to teach. And I think that's when you can really get to a mentor because you're looking up to that person. Whereas instead of saying, you know, well, you should do this, you should do that. You're, they're saying, here's what you should do. Yeah. I think, I think that you're, you're right. And I think, uh, that, you know, obviously I think, yeah, there's, there's that hubris when you're young of like, now I'm working and stuff, but I always knew I, I never felt super comfortable I was I wasn't a, a cocky kid I was I was a little awkward and I, I had a casting director actually tell me this year like when I got into my later 30s and I was like oh well this explains it and I won't say her name she was a lovely person it was actually very helpful in hindsight it was very hurtful at the time when she said it but she was like you know what that the problem with your career is she goes you come into a room with you're like a, a cipher and you only come alive when you're acting. And so it makes people uncomfortable. Like I, and I realized that I was, I think I was just shy and awkward and that I felt most comfortable once the character was created. And she said, you, you, you just, the people that come in and you go, I want to hang out with this person on the set or, you know, they have a really clear direction of their worth or whatever. She just said, you know, it made people uncomfortable. And I was like, oh my God, why didn't you tell me this when I was a teenager? Right. I could have worked on it. That's when I needed to hear this. So I, you know, I found out things later. They're also the reason I think that I can dive so deeply into a character. Um, but, and so I just think I was, you know, that would have been good information for a mentor to impart, but they didn't know I was doing that in the audition room, apparently, except for the you know, a mentor wouldn't have known that, I guess. But um, so it was kind of funny. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she's like, I hope you don't mind me telling you this. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm like, I think I might need a medic. <laughs> but you know what? It'll I'll, this wound will heal. And it was good information. So there's things, you know, I was I, I was a goofy kid. I was a goofy young person. So you now, now as you're getting mature, you know, in the business, what kind of roles are you starting to look at? What what do you what, what did you want to play? Like you know when you're going through that transition because you you know as you said you could do both comedy and drama. And I know actors always say, well, whatever if it's a gig, it's a gig. Right. But were you just sitting there sometimes just going, you know, and then you know you wanted a TV show, but you know as you're getting older in the business and you're 
probably really getting your chops. I mean, that sounds weird, but you're, you're maturing and it's like anything, you know, if we knew then what we knew now, yeah. where were you, where were you focusing your attention at that point? Were you sitting there going, okay, I want to do this. Did you want to do stage again or what, right. what, what did you do? So like, right, like we're talking like, well, I guess, um, I was really, really interested in and wanted to be a bigger part of this than I ended up being, but the, the small indie movies that, that I really admired, like in the nineties. And, um, I, I love the roles they were writing for women. They were complex, awkward, um, intelligent, um, funny, but in a, you know, painful way. I loved those complex roles that were really a slice of life. Um, and so I, that's where I was putting my, uh, focus. And I did end up going back on stage with a, a group called Stevedore Productions and they were putting on one acts and brilliant writers that are really good playwrights and TV writers and film writers now. And, um, they were one acts and that was really fun. Um, I did that a, a couple of their productions in the nineties, um, at the theater row in, in Hollywood. And that was really fun. And, um, and you know, and then just making that transition into a woman from an ingenue, um, and, you know, just keeping my focus on those roles that I wanted to do. Now, have you noticed, as you were making this transition until now, have you noticed, do you honestly think that the roles for females are growing? Because, you know, it's a matter of, mm-hmm. once again, you you said it perfectly, so to me how Hollywood thinks. You were taking great roles, but they were indie movies, or they're these playthings. Right. Do you think that the industry is finally growing to sit there and give good roles to women? I mean, because, you know, it's like you sit there sometimes, and, you, and I watch TV, and there's some roles that just, and it's weird. I mean, from you coming from the industry part, I mean, mm-hmm. do you think that the, the networks and the productions are finally saying, you know what, it's not a guy's world? Because, you know, there's so many people... Who are, I see stuff on Facebook about, you know, yeah. the guy actor, he's 62, but the girl is like 32. I know, and, 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 and hot, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, and to me, you know, I don't like to see that. I mean, I'm blessed. I have a, I have a beautiful girlfriend, but I mean, but honestly, a lot of guys that look like me <laughs> don't know. Oh, you're handsome. Be but quiet. I'm, I'm just Be saying, quiet. but no, for as, a, as someone who watches it, I sit there and go, you know, this is bullshit. For you, do you ever get frustrated and go, man, this is crap, man. This these these guys are too old. Uh, well, I don't know. Okay, I'm I'm gonna say I I'll I'll go to the guy girl thing. Um, I think all actors get frustrated. I mean, I think you can be anybody in this business and be frustrated that you're not getting the roles you want, or you have a long period of not getting any roles, or it's such an up and down mercurial business. Um, I think that as far as like all the great roles for women, I I, I think there. There are great roles for women. However, that said, they go on TV. There's millions of wonderful roles for women and not even great roles, but lots of roles for women. But they tend to all go to the same women. Like it, it there's women doing four TV series at that, the same time. So it's there are a lot of roles, but they're not being farmed out to anybody. But I, I think the networks and... Things, I just think people get insecure and they only want the person that somebody else has already hired because they they see they saw value in that person. Therefore, that person has more value because they're already on that show. And so I understand the politics of it and the and the financial dynamics of it. So, yes, I think that there are many wonderful roles for women, especially in television um, and the proliferation of all the, the great um, cable series and, and networks. 
Um, however, I'm just going to say that, again, that it's the same women doing all the, the parts. And as far as the men and women, you know what? I just think that's a human thing. I think that that older guy, younger girl has been going on since the dawn of time. And it's just something that, you know, you just go, it pleases someone because that's why they do right. it. And <laughs> and I, I, it's not something new. And, um, you know, I just think it's a... a caveman cell memory or something <laughs> now now you got to tell me about your episode of cold case your own cold case yes loved it Did that you, was so much fun i i love that show because i, I grew up near philadelphia and i was i had one of my uh guests was on who said he played the younger and at the end this actor actor he loved played the older him and i always thought it was always cool because at the end you know yes in what was like playing i mean i mean what was your do you remember what your story was oh what, my gosh it was so wonderful i played a woman who was spoiler alert burned in a fire and um it, the it was just such a beautiful story and they had these prosthetics so the ha half of my body was burned and there was just this it was just a wonderful story and then at the end I danced to Dancing Queen um because I'd been a disco dancer in the 70s before this fire and I still to this day if I see that episode it makes me cry. I thought it was a beautiful it was it was a really beautiful story and that's sometimes like with these episodes of TV you get these gems of a role that are so layered and wonderful and you know uh, and it's that was a procedural but they they didn't belabor the procedural part like for the guest star anyway. The guest star got to have a lot of fun. That's cool. I'm trying to think now because the dancing cause I'm I, there's one where they roller skate and there's one where they're disco and I I've seen them all. And I'm trying to think which one. Oh, there was there was no. I'm trying because I'm trying to remember because I remember the Dancing Queen because I'm, yeah. I'm a very I love music and music and TV. That's one thing I loved about that show. They always put good songs in. Yes, and very like you sit there. They had one whole episode with Springsteen. I'm a huge Springsteen yeah. fan. I'm like wait Springsteen TV song. I'm like and it went place in the next city. And one of the episodes took place at a country club in a town I grew up in. So I always had a certain bond to that show. Yeah, but uh, so yes, yeah, so I just I now have to go look. I'm, that's yeah, funny. it was fun. It was there. super fun. So now now I look in, at your IMDb and and you have a lot of pre-production stuff and post-production stuff. So you're getting out there and working a lot. Yes, I have. Oh my gosh, I have coming up and they're not even on there. Um, a movie that I can't say the title of yet because they've told me I can't say, but it's super scary. And I'm playing Beth because, of course, my roles always have to be Tina or Beth. It's just I did the recurring role on CSI as the serial killer and I show up and she's now Tina, um, which was great fun to work with Bill Irwin and do all that. Um, but yes, I have so the scary movie that I'll be able to say soon, but I start shooting that in two weeks, actually. And then, um, then I am doing... William Frost, which is, um, I play basically like a nurse ratchet kind of fun character in a very creepy movie. And then um, in the fall, I'm doing a, a movie in Nashville called Catch a Fallen Star about country singers. And I'm super excited that about that. That must be exciting because you said, you know, your your father's a big country uh, fan and, yep. and you like country music. I love country music. You know, it's funny. I was just hanging out. He actually stayed at our place on... Um, Saturday because we went to a dinner party. I don't follow country music. I get, there's the drummer for Jason Aldean has become a good friend of mine. I never heard of Jason Aldean. And do, you know, yes, yeah. Well, I yeah. I met him at my friend's party because I was I said to my friend Lucky, I go, hey man, I go, who who'd be a good guest for my show? And he goes, that guy. He goes, yeah. he's Jason Aldean, and I had no idea who he was. And my my old roommate, his uh, his his wife, he go, my friend JP is like, oh my god, Kristen would go crazy. But it's just funny because now I'm getting a whole encompassable how like the yeah. the country guy, he lives in Nashville and, and it's amazing, you know, especially if, if you love live music and stuff like that. Oh. Going to Nashville now, 
all the kids who are getting out of music school are going there because you can go there and you can start writing and everyone like Steven Tyler's going down there. Yep. And it's just, it's amazing. Like, are you, ex- you must be excited to go to Nashville. I'm beyond excited. I'm super excited. And then, uh, I have a movie that I completed that literally is my role of a lifetime. It's called the id and I play, uh, it's kind of like whatever happened to baby Jane kind of role. And um, it is about to be distributed. So I'm super excited about that because it's definitely hands down best role I've ever had. Best, uh, most wonderful experience creatively as an actor to delve into this beautiful, yummy character. And um, it won best thriller at a just last month at the Hollywood Real Independent Film Festival. And um, so... We're hoping people, a lot of people get to see it because it's, it's, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm super happy and excited about it. What made, I mean, looking back at your body of work and you say it's your best role that it, for you, what, I mean, what can you say? Like the tangibles that made it your best role? It was, it's the most beautiful heartbreaking tale of this woman, Meredith. And to get to play this woman from beginning to end as um, things happened with her mentally. And and it was, it was very challenging to stay in the arc of the character. It was very, and I went so deep into it. It took many, many months to actually shake her, um, her pain and sadness and, um, you know, her journey. I I don't want to just say pain and sadness. Very complex, interesting character. And, I'd just never been given that big of a challenge um, where like I'm in every frame of the movie and it's, it was really a treat and, and a present. <laughs> any, any, uh, any theater in your mind or, you know, cause you're working so much now though. I mean, it yeah. must be hard that, you know, but I think any, I, I have think- a dream. I have a dream that I will get back on stage and it's going to be a role that I love and, you know, I might fall on my face, but it is it is my dream. It is in there. It hasn't happened yet. But it will, because I feel it. Because as I said, I look at your body of work. I, I even like the TV shows you've been on. You know, what I mean, you know, even like you're on. I mean, you've been on. You've been on iconic movies, which, and and what's I love now is because of Netflix and because of cable, these movies live on to generations. I mean, yeah. you know, when I sit there when I'm interviewing you now, I think when I was in college. You know, I would have seen Better Off Dead, and that's why you know, my, my, I always crack up. Like, when I have an Alan Ruck on from, you know, or whatever, I sit there and go. Oh, I love him. I go, wow. <laughs> I, I, I sit there and go, when I was in New Jersey, I never thought I'd be interviewing people like this. And then that's what's great, because you guys are around forever, and you and you keep working. And that's the best for you. I mean, you're getting the role of your lifetime that you feel. I know, as a grown-up. As grown-up. Grown-up. Grown yeah. Not, you know, it's not crazy. Yeah, no, it's super exciting. And I'm, I'm hoping that this is a new little chapter for me as I age into character acting. That's my plan. I, I just I think that's where my chops are as well and um, I'm happy to just age into you know I would love to be I would love to be like Jessica Lange on American Horror Story or Lynn Shay and all those yummy fun movies she plays and just go you know for those great yummy character roles and I don't have to worry about my hair would you, would you, <laughs> would you ever want to play the first lady I am playing the first lady on a web series called uh, totally forgot about that the division um I, pl- I we we've just uh, m- murder and mayhem has ensued and my husband and I have become president and first lady and that will carry on and oh my god and I have another web series called Devil's Gate where I play a crime scene photographer 
And it's literally going to be one of the scariest web series you will have ever seen when it gets up and going. And now the division, is that, is that up yet or no? It is, but they've only had, there's only four episodes up so far. And Can we find it? Yeah, it's, I think it's the divisionmovie.com. I'm sorry that I don't know off the top of my head. I'll tweet it. it to you. Yeah. And it's um it's uh it's wonderfully acted. Um uh Eric Wan is the creator and director of it and um there's many more episodes that need to be shot and will be shot eventually and it's very good. But you're so busy that they're not going to have time. You're you're no, working all the time. No. I will totally have time to play the first lady and Devil's Gate. Both of these web series Devil's Gate is it should be on Netflix. It's amazing. And so should The Division and uh I'm super excited. I'm just glad that I have all these fun things that people have brought to me that I'm like, yes, of course I want to do that. How does one get in character for the first woman? Because you're the first woman. Um, it's in the hairdo. No, I'm just kidding. And um, which um, it is in a it's a sense of I found what I was doing by how she sat, how I would sit, and that, that sort of dictated then how I would stand and um and what I was going to do with my hands when I spoke and it just helped me pull in a sort of um leader and I'm not necessarily a nice first okay. lady I'm introduced while I slap my assistant's face so I'm not um so I so it was a little bit steeliness and body protective posture um and enough that kept people away and slightly nervous and so that's how I found her yes she wasn't an elegant loving first lady <laughs> now now do you ever find young young uh, new actors on set and mentor them or try to mentor them um if people are open to to talking with me about it, but I think what's happened, and I'll say this quickly, sets used to be where you actors sat around and talked and older actors shared their stories of theater and movies with younger actors. Now everyone's on their cell phone. Everyone's locked in their dressing room. There's very little communication. Um, people are more in love with celebrity than um, the craft of acting. Um, uh, well, that that's unfair to say. There's a proliferation of that, and perhaps there always was. Um, so what happens is there's not really an organic way where people ask you questions, but when when they do, yeah, like if I have something that anybody's interested in hearing, I love to share what little information I have. Like I don't have like the, the best information in the world, but I can share a lot of the mistakes I made or pitfalls I I I didn't sidestep and um and you know I, I think that there are you know a couple young people when I've been on set have been, well, what was this like? And what would you do in this situation? I always feel honored and I'm very thoughtful about my answers. Good. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, now, Nancy, you were nervous, but it went fine. <laughs> now, now, what's your Twitter? Um, underscore Amanda Wiss. And now do you tweet a lot? I'm starting to. I, I more just respond to tweets um, because um, that just... I have more fun responding to the people that tweet to me. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. And people follow her. Also, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot. I, I think that's, I like, it just gives me relief. Um, also, follow me on uh, Instagram, at Cooper Talk One. I post some good pictures. I post some healthy food pictures. If you go to my website, it's coopertalk.net. I have over 490 episodes where you can also email me, Cooper coopertalk.net and uh you know if you want to get a guest suggest who you want to see if you want to advertise on my show i have i'm played on a bunch of stations i have great rates so we'll figure that out and itunes stitcher the same thing one word cooper talk and if you have a google android uh phone or tablet go to the google play store type in one word cooper talk and then don't forget my other website stopthesalt.com remember when i went through that health problem well i wrote a cookbook it's 120 easy recipes they're all low sodium 
healthy to make, easy to make. There's no pictures to intimidate you. There's no list of long <laughs> ingredients. So if you don't have cumin, don't worry. I have no cumin. But they're easy to make. And you can go to Amazon or Barnes & Nobles and buy it. Or Uncom, Or you can go to StopTheSalt.com. And if you do that, I'll sign it for you. Not if you don't care, but I make more money. So you'd rather do that. So that's what I think. So don't forget, follow Amanda. Go to go to IMDb. Check out her old shows because that's what you got to do. And keep following me. I'm Steve Cooper. Remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. Have a wonderful weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.